I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Well, today in the studio, I've got Gareth Robertson, who's the marketing manager of Rupert Wines. In fact, he's not in studio with me. We're on this fancy schmancy thing that I have to keep on doing for Carrie's Corner on Business. Gareth, welcome. Thanks so much, Carrie, and thanks for inviting me to be on Carrie's Corner. Yeah, look forward to catching up and talking about something. I know, it's been, too, it's been too long. And one of the first things that I wanted to ask you is that it's been a very, very trying year. How have you come out of it? Is it sort of about your financial year end in February? No, our financial year ends in June. But yeah, it has been a very tough year. I think a lot of frustrations, I think, um, just obviously with the liquor lockdowns and being able to trade and not to trade. But yeah, so there's obviously implications of um, not being able to sell as much as we normally would have and budgeted for. So that definitely has implications on stock holding and um, producing stock. and then. I think where it's really started to come to the crux is actually now when we have to start planning for the new harvest. And, you know, we've already had some grapes come in and trying to readjust our volumes of what we currently have in stock and didn't sell the previous year to what we're going to be selling um, going forward. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because it's a little bit of a burning question for the entire industry at the moment. And I've been interviewing quite a couple of people who are faced with this problem where they really still have got in some instances, up to 60% of last year's harvest that hasn't been bottled yet. And they have to now start harvesting this year's harvest. So what do you think is going to happen with that? Michael Fridjohn and I had our own thoughts on it that said maybe people are going to start putting it into Coke bottles and buckets and pup sucker and what have you and try and get rid of it from the farms. But, I mean, realistically, what are we going to do in our industry with 65% of the of 2020 harvest unbottled. Yeah, Carrie, I think it's, there's a lot of opinions to listen to and, and all that. But I think um, initially, if you are buying in grapes, and I'm talking generally speaking, I'm not in particular Rupert wines, people are going to budget. So if they were supposed to be buying in 100 tons of Sauvignon Blanc, they're going to cut that back to try and manage that they get back into a sort of routine and a, a sort of steady flow of um, selling that. So actually what happens on that is the grape farmer is now has to find a new buyer for those grapes. And I think that's where it's really starting to hit home in South Africa. I think with a lot of producers like us at Rupert, we are about 80% locally focused. So we're very passionate about setting into our local market. And with what has happened, we've been hit quite hard about that. Yes, you're going to have to look for export markets because as much as we like to support the local is lacquer, it can't happen anymore because we haven't got enough mouths to throw all of that wine down. Have yeah, we? and it's just so sad. I was driving through Franschuk on the weekend, and during this time, usually that little street on the main road is just bustling with people on the sides of the restaurants are full, and then you have to book in a week in advance. And it was mm. really a, almost like a bit of a ghost town, you know. Um, and that is a ghost town. Yeah, and I just think the restaurants are are really struggling. And you know, often we've tried to reach out to these restaurants and say, oh, what can we do, whatever. And they just actually just say to me, Gareth, we just need people to come to the restaurant. You know, We need bottoms on seats. seats. <laughs> exactly. And need. it's just not like mm. we say, thank you so much for giving us support and trying to make 
things more attractive for diners to come out, but it actually is just they're not having enough people in their restaurants. And obviously that's not a pull through of obviously the volume. But I think going forward, I think a lot of people are in dilemmas. Um, there's certain wine companies that have had a very strong export market and have come out really well. So there's definitely a talk that um, in Europe and UK have been sales of exports have been really good. So it's fantastic for those producers mm. that are actually focusing on that market. But yeah, for us, we've had to just re-strategize and just see what we want to do. Unfortunately, I think there is going to be some dumping and big discounts because yes. that's just a traditional way of actually trying to sell stock. And yeah, that's going to be quite tough. Well, you know, I have been saying, everybody knows in the industry, I've been saying for the last sort of 10 years, if I had a wine farm, I would be moving towards 70 or 80% of exports because I could see a crash coming here as far as drinking was concerned, I could never have foreseen total prohibition. Yeah. Um, but I think the entire breakdown of the supply chain in the wine industry is is now going to come to the fore in the next six to eight months. It's not only the wine farm, as you say, it's the restaurant trade, it's the hotels, it's tourist industry, it's console glass. I mean, how on earth do you stop, start, stop, start a business like console glass where then you can bottle, then you can, I mean, then you can make bottles, then you can't. It's very, very hectic. And I think that the ramifications of this lockdown, be they substantiated or not, and that's another debate, they are very far reaching and they are very dire for the wine industry at large. I couldn't agree with you more in what you've said. Um, I think um, with a strategy and a strategy of ours is almost to have 50% export and 50% locally. Um, yes. And that's where we're sort of heading. But obviously, COVID caught us a bit <laughs> with mm, that 80-20. Mm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you. I think it's a lot of suppliers, you know, and also the bulk market and trying to sell wine in bulk. So some guys are sitting with their tanks full and say, should we bottle and then sell the bottles and add it on there? But the bulk market mm. has just dropped out as well. So actually, I don't know, there's no point in really selling it in bulk because the price is so low. And it's so sad because pre-COVID, the bulk price for once in the industry was really looking buoyant. Not that we deal yes. in that market, but um, just for a whole lot of producers, people paying good yes. prices for bulk wines. And that obviously all the grape grows all the way through was just really pulling it up. So it's really sad. You know, the one good thing is, is that, we do have a good reputation for supplying really good quality and value for money in the rest of the world. And I do think that there's a lot of empathy that's come to South Africa because of the situation that we find ourselves in. So I do think it's going to be easier now than it was before to find export markets. And whether it be, as you say, bulk export or bottled, I don't know. But I do think that we're going to find a lot more, um, what's the word, a friendlier reception from the rest of the world when it comes to buying from South Africa. So that's one goodie. The other is, do you think that there is a market emerging? And I was chatting to a couple of other wineries in the last two or three weeks. Do you think that there's any market for upmarket wine in bag or box? I see there's quite a lot of it in the UK. I think there's definitely potential in that. I don't think it fits for into our sort of range of what we want to offer. But I think... No, I don't you know, think Dr. Rupert's going to be putting your Antony Rupert into <laughs> no, a five-litre dose anytime soon. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, 
No, I just think um, if you look at Scandinavia and how well they've done with bag in the box, you know, it's obviously it's their biggest yes. thing. And that bag in the box is really good. You know, I've been my travels to Europe and seeing um, uh, System Balaga and all the, those sort of things. That mm. bag in the box is really not bad. And I think um, Woolworths locally have done a, a great push. They've done a, they've put Bayer's Club, Pinotage and Dimas del Sauvignon Blanc into into bag in the box and um mm. yeah it's really good juice you know and i think what it's worked abroad is where the people see value and a lot of them are either on yachts or something like that so to dispose of it and then always the guys always like to have bag in the box because then their wife doesn't know how much they're drinking you know so <laughs> <laughs> the glass is always full you know of that. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> never even thought of that yeah gareth I tasted absolutely happily the other day a bottle of your Cape of Good Hope Semyon. Yeah. Just as a complete and utter aside from everything that we're speaking about, the whole world needs to have at least six bottles of that in their cellar. It was delicious. Where are you getting those grapes from? Yeah, so it's a, a project um, Johan Rupert started, you know, obviously with um, Old Vines and him and um, when Rissa Kruger was actually working with us, you know, her and Eben went to go and find these vineyards and it's, these vineyards are situated right up the west coast, not too far from Lambert's Bay, um, on this sort of mountain range called the Skirfberg. And we buy the grapes from a, a guy called Henk Lang. So it's called Cape of Good Hope, um, Lang's Grundreif. Yes. So yeah, we've gone that. So it's one of the oldest grapes grown in, in South Africa. Well, it definitely comes through in the bottle. It, I, I'm a bit of a Semyon fan. I do love it. And I know that it's quite a tricky, grape variety to sell because not many people know about it but for anybody who hasn't ever tasted Simeon before do yourself a favor and go and get a bottle of that it's Cape of Good Hope it was absolutely delicious and then just tell us the other wines that come out of that Cape of Good Hope yeah so um, the whole idea was really to try and preserve a lot of historical sort of things in South Africa so part of the Cape of Good Hope um, range was old vines where we partnered up with certain farmers and we sourced their grapes and then produced it and then We'll have Cape of Good Hope as the brand, and then we'll put the surname of the producer that we, we source the grapes for. Okay. So it's to okay, honor them to know they're doing all the, the, the growing. So it's a site-specific range. So um, there are three properties that the Rupert own, Ultima. And what we do is the majority of them are all single vineyards. Um, not to say they all old vineyards, but some of them are. Um, and it's very site-specific. So we've got an, um, the Ultima Sauvignon Blanc is from Elan's Kloof. And we have a Snealkrans Pinot Noir from that area and the Sereria Shard. So it's really site-specific up um, in Kaiman's Hut. I think a lot of people would be familiar with Bouchard Finnison's Kaiman's Hut. I want to go and visit that Kaiman's Hut. Everybody talks about Kaiman's Hut and any wine that I've ever tasted that's come off the so-called Kaiman's Hut, it must be an enormous vineyard. Because everybody lays claim to Kaiman's Hut. <laughs> no, and I happen to know not. that Dr. Rupert owns Kaiman's Hut. <laughs> so no, everybody else who's telling us it's theirs is talking nonsense. Yeah, no, it's already a unique site. And the farm actually um, used to be called High Noon. And what is it is actually in a, a volcanic crater and extremely high vineyards. So anything from about 600 meters above sea level up to 900. And mm-hmm. it snows every year there. Don't know, a Sauvignon Blanc where guys and maybe in Stellenbosch or Franchuk would be finished harvesting in the beginning of February. 
We only picked there in the middle of March. So it must be there almost. It must be as high as David Nivert's up in the Cedarburg somewhere. I hey? think it's just or maybe below, even higher. Just a little bit lower than his. I think he's yeah. got the highest and these are the second highest mm. if you exclude Natal, but um, as grape grows. It's, yeah, it's a, a very unique site and we get amazing acidity. And then we have this long, slow ripening process, which um, really, really does help. And we've just had really fantastic grapes coming off there. And I think that's why everyone wants so to get on, get onto it. You know? I know. Well, I've tasted your, the Simeon, yeah. the Shiraz, the Sauvignon Blanc. There's a Pinot Noir, which is absolutely delicious. Yeah. Uh, that's the Snewberg Pinot Noir. Yeah, Snewkrantz. Yeah, yeah, from the Snewkrantz. Yeah. And then there's a Chardonnay. Is that your Ceruria? Is yeah, your Chardonnay? Yeah. So that's from yeah. also the same property. And then um, yeah. one of, part of the Cape Verde portfolio is Rebix Refie, which is also yes. in the Swatland. So Rebix Refie is the uh, the dirt road that runs just on the side of the Castilbach uh, mountain. And it's really been a spotlight in the Swatlands. You know, we have our neighbors, our Malanu, that have bought into their um, gold mine, which is the project with Porcelainberg and Buchanan's Cliff. Mm. And Leon Kale makes a heritage Shiraz down there. And it's really mm. to do with the most amazing schist and shale soils there. And um, there's some yes. old vine shenan, um, some sinso, and then just Rhone varietal. So on the property, we've got oh. Masan Roussan. Um, Vienna, and then obviously with their own um, different clones of Shiraz, uh, Grenache, Carillon, and Moubed, yeah. Well, really very much looking forward to tasting everything. Cape <laughs> of Good Hope is a label that everybody needs to know about. Before I say goodbye to you, there are a few things I needed to ask you about the harvest for this year. You've obviously started harvesting, I would imagine, for your bubbly. Yes, we have, yeah. And um, we actually took in some grapes from the Lang Semiol, so the Grundrafe. And I tasted the juice yesterday, actually, which is looking superb, really, really looking nice. So we've had our Pinot Grishos come in, and um, we will most probably got a young block of Merlot in Franchuk on the Lomara estate that we'll most probably bring in next week. So that will be our first red. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. the whites that we've got in is really nice. We've got a bit of Sauvignon Blanc as well. But, yeah, so it's it's really looking good. I think the harvest is a bit um, less than the previous year. We had a big harvest last year. And the mm-hmm. only variety I think we've had a bit of unevenness is actually in the Sauvignon Blanc um, in Franchuk. We just mm-hmm. had to pick the, the vineyard twice. So there were some very ripe bunches and then some unripe bunches. But, um, yep. you know, we're very fortunate to have access to some good labor. And your is your cellar door open again and you're pumping and hopefully you're going to try and make up the lost time and lost sales during the, the lockdowns? Definitely. I think one of the, the things that have come out of lockdown um, for us has been a bonus and a, its positivity is that we had a very active wine club. Um, so that was pre-COVID that Good. got up to about 5,000 members. And to know the guys, to know in lockdown and that, we've just had amazing support from those people. And obviously, we're very grateful and thankful to that. Mm. But yeah, obviously, we we opened from last week. So and also the legislation allowing wineries to sell and open on the weekend has been a huge bonus than previously. Yes. And I think people are just wanting to get out, you know. Um, then obviously we've got all mm. the protocols in, in place and uh, we're limiting the amount of guests that we receive. But yeah, I think it's definitely positive and yeah, it's great Good. to get people out into the valley. Well, I have to tell everybody that Rupert wines are one of my favorites. Lormorong has made an amazing comeback. It was an old, tried, trusted, tested favorite. There's nothing different. It's still a fantastic red wine. You've got 
hectic Rolls Royce, Cabernet Francs, Shirazes, cabs, blends. Everybody needs to get out there and we just have to try and support and support and support some more because we've got a wine industry that is producing superstar stuff and we need to buy. So how do they get hold of you, Bear? Um, you can have a quick bit of advertising here. Yeah, so <laughs> if they want have you've obviously got a website of sorts for Rupert Wines. Yes, so it's www.rupertwines.com. It's just been redone and it's really interactive. So um the one thing is we've got a couple brands in our stable, so each um brand has a, a different website, but you can order online and um then hopefully we'll Okay, have it. so they and you yeah. pay and it gets delivered so from the farm. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, as you can get our wines at Norman Goodfellas, so um, and, and yes. some of the more um, larger retailers. But yeah, mm-hmm. the easiest is to hop on the website and um, join our wine club. Yeah, so um, but yeah, as much business as we can, as you said, to try and support us. Done. Bear, keep doing what you're doing. Who's your winemaker at the stage? So we've again? got um, a few winemakers. So Davi Boerter um, is our cellar master. So he's in charge That's of the room. That's right. Davi Boerter. You send Davi Boerter a big kiss. I will. From Kelly's Corner. <laughs> I won't give him a so we're going to try and sell as much as we possibly can. So yeah. do you, he's the cellar master and then yeah. he oversees the guys who do the separate yeah. sort of yeah. labels. So Mark van Buren makes the white wines. Um, so he makes fantastic Simeon and a lot of the other whites. And then we've got Zani Fulun, who um, heads up the Bubbles Project, so Lomora. And then we've got Vernon van Hoofer, who does a lot of the Rebex and Optima um, wines. Fantastic. Well, the Cape of Good Hope uh, Simeon was definitely my wine of 2020. It was the best wine I tasted in 2020, my best new find. Fantastic. So we're going to make everybody rush out and buy that. Have you got lots of stock? Not a huge amount because it's such an old vineyard, but this year we've actually got a little bit more. So we've got three tons of Simeon. So yeah, a bit more than previously, but it is a delicious wine. Done. Bear, thank you so much for joining us on Biz News. It's lovely to chat. Stay, hang in there, and I'm sure alles soll recht kommen. Okay. Thanks so much, Gary, and thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, Gary. Bye-bye.